Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Black in Science. Before we dive in, there are a few disclaimers I'd like to make. So first things first, these episodes are recorded virtually from the comfort of our own homes, so you may hear some ambient noises like a dog barking in the background or a train going by, and these are all uncontrollable factors of the environments we live in. So please try your best to do what I do and just tune them out. Secondly, these interviews are recorded utilizing modern day technology, which can have the occasional glitch. So you may hear some lag either in my responses or that of the guests I'm talking to, but I promise you they do not take away from the overall story being shared. So without further ado, let's get it started. On today's episode, I sat down with Dr. Esther Goombi, who currently works as an assistant professor of entomology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Throughout the episode, Dr. Goombi discusses her childhood while growing up on the Kenyan coast, the dissertation work she did for her PhD at Auburn University, and the research her lab currently focuses on at UIUC. You guys, Dr. Goombi is such a little beacon of positivity. She's got so much passion for what she does, and it's incredibly contagious every time she speaks. I know you'll all enjoy listening. So with that being said, let's get into it. So welcome to Black and Science, Dr. Goombi. Thank you so much for joining me today. So to start things off, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us your name, where you're currently located, and where you grew up. My names are Esther Goombi. I am currently uh, living in Abana, Champaign, and I grew up in the Kenyan coast. So how was growing up in the Kenyan coast for you? That's a great question. Uh, So I grew up in a very small village, and... um, Back then, uh, growing up, we grew up in the, as a simple, the simplest life you can imagine. There was no uh, lights. Uh, there's no all these niceties of uh, modern uh, life that I've come to enjoy in the United States. But life was just amazing. It was amazing because uh, I was surrounded by family. I was surrounded by nature. I was... Uh, and we were just very happy family, very, very happy. So I have all these beautiful memories of myself growing up, going to the river to fetch water because we did not have tap water in our house, going uh, out to the bush to collect firewood because we did not have uh, modern stoves at our home, going to school because I, we did not have buses to take us to school. So I would wake up in the morning and walk uh, to school with my siblings and my parents were teachers so I enjoy that Uh, during Saturdays I enjoy just playing with my uh, neighborhood friends and everything was simple Mm -hmm. yeah it sounds nice so what got you started in science were you always intrigued or was there a specific person or experience that kind of got you going so I always say first of all I grew up wanting not to be a scientist but, but an accountant and why is that? As I said, I grew up in the village and there were not a lot of role models around me. So the only profession that I saw were teachers, but our parents were teachers. And so 
they used all their salaries to send us to school. And and I remember just uh, from the villages, I described it uh, very little, uh, very simple life and going to the city and going with my parents and they would go to a bank and I would see on the other side this uh, bank employees, accountants that were sitting in this very uh, super nice seats behind a wall, behind a glass uh, screen, and the office was air-conditioned and everything, and they were wearing suits, and I was like, that's the kind of job I really want to be. They looked very comfortable. And then I went to high school, did very well in my primary school examinations, went to high school, and all of a sudden I had to start doing science. And I remember just going to the lab and uh, setting up this experiment, first of all, and then on the other side was off. And I was like, what? this what scientists do i want to be a scientist now from that day on i was like sold out to being a scientist and i also then once i uh, i saw the role models and once i tested science i still remember also so growing up again um while my parents were teachers they were also farmers and their small salaries as teachers could not uh sustain our life they could not uh ensure that we go to school and have food on the table. And before going to school uh, in the morning, we would go to the farm and uh, plant and all our crops were doing very well until somewhere during the growing season. I remember uh, insects, I would watch all our hard work go to waste because insects had uh, infested our growing plants decimating them what insects had not taken away sometimes drought would what drought hadn't taken away sometimes it was flooding and then we would not have food on the table so then i was okay why do these insects first of all even find our food crops how do they get to find our food and why can't they just eat half of the food and leave uh, some of it for us to so at that early age too i started seeing this uh this work that we had so worked hard get taken away by insects. And I wondered, too, what can I do? Is there also a career in, in science that can allow me to, first of all, understand how these insects find our crops? And secondly, try to find uh, ways to ensure that we can reduce the damage that these insects do. So on one hand, as I said, I wanted to be an accountant because that was the only people, role models I was exposed to. And then the other side, when I decided it was science, then all these uh, memories of my uh, growing up, seeing our crops get decimated by insects and knowing that if there's a career in science I want to pursue, it was going to be entomology. It was going to be uh, dealing with insects. And that's what I do up to today. So... Yeah, that's how I ended up being uh, in science and staying in science. Oh, I love it. That's like the direct impact of life experiences sort of geared you to what you're doing today. Yes, 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 yes. And I would say this issue of insect damaging crops and as a result contributing to food insecurity uh, is still a big, big issue. Yes, one you are clearly working on, so we thank you for that. 
So would you mind talking about how you felt your education prepared you? Because I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about the education system and Africa as a whole. So do you feel like the um, teaching that you had growing up prepared you for an advanced degree? I did. First of all, uh, my teachers were big on just curiosity and courage. And, and the school as a whole, again, being in the village where nature it was still nature. Our teachers had all the training, all the good training that they could have. They were passionate about the subjects they were teaching in. Secondly, uh, I was encouraged, which is so important in, in STEM and in science without that encouragement. The first time I even did an experiment, I was doing my master's degree, and I, uh, when I did the experiment, all the results were countering the hypothesis we had set up. And I felt like a failure. I felt like, oh my God, what is my mentor going to think about me? I was scared even going to my mentor. And when I walked in, he looked at me and said, you know, even zero result is a result. This is how science works. That was an arrangement that allowed me to actually stay because I thought now I have to quit because obviously I am not doing what scientists are supposed to do. That mentoring, that encouragement, very essential. And I had that all along. So I think, yeah, I, I, I feel I had an education that nurtured all the foundational essentials. Oh, yes. I love that. I love to hear that. So when did you end up graduating from high school? 1993. And I feel like I'm a dinosaur now. <laughs> asking me this <laughs> can we can we not talk about the years that we graduated <laughs> I but I would say actually that day was the most happiest day of my life and as I said I grew up in the village my parents were not uh, well off so poverty was a real thing and all along, my parents had said, education, education is the gateway out of poverty. Education, education. But to be able to go through education, I had to do well. And to be able to also further this love of science that had begun, I had to do very well in my high school education. And why is it? Because back then, going to the university meant you would go to the university after doing well in the examination. If you did not do well, chances are you would not be able to receive a, a placement or a, an invitation to join university. But if you're rich, you can go to a private university. For my case, we're not rich. So private universities were a no-go zone. I had to do very well. And actually, I did very well. I became the first girl in actually my high school. I was the top girl, top performing girl. And I remember my father going he went to get our results. And so he brought them and he, he came and announced that I'd done very well. So that was just like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to the university. I've had my position to get to the university and I will continue to further my education. So while I feel like a dinosaur because of so long, so many years that I've gone since I graduated in my high school, it was the best, best day of my life. And and I knew that indeed now I had this opportunity to further my education and I was called to do Bachelor of Science. So then I also had this opportunity to go now further my love for science. So it was the best, best day. I still remember that day. I still have fond memories of that day. Oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. 
So where did you end up going to university and what did you end up majoring in? So I ended up getting uh, invited to attend Kenyatta University and it's in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was invited to do a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Zoology. And it was exciting. It became another exciting four years. And again, at this point, I had very good also mentors. I remember going to the biochemistry lab again. And this time, unlike the high school where we did not have equipment, this was a true lab. So there's all these equipment surrounded by all these test tubes and equipment to do science. And then I wore my lab coat too. I wore my lab coat, went in and did this first experiment. And I again still remember that first experiment at Kenyatta University. I truly felt like a scientist and I did not want to leave the lab. It was such a satisfying experience and and further cemented my love for science. And all along the four years uh, while I was at Kenyatta University in Nairobi, uh, it was just a beautiful journey of science and massing myself in biochemistry, zoology, and learning about biology. It was an exciting phase of my life. So did you have an uh, undergraduate research project or were you just helping out a specific professor with their work? So that's a good question. So when, when I was uh, back then, uh, I did not help any professor, but uh, my professor saw this ending curiosity in me. And I was so lucky enough to be in a university that was only 15 minutes away from one of the renowned research centers. International Center of Insect Physiology and Ecology. And so I started and my professors uh, had collaborations with researchers there. And uh, as they started to see this curiosity, this so much deep love for biology, they started to actually tell me, you know what, you can do your research at this International Center of Insect and Physiology. And they started connecting me with uh, the professors the researchers that were based in this institution and luck would have it that my last year when I was uh, almost about to graduate I had been put in contact with one of my mentors today he's my mentor uh, Dr. Baldwin Toto who became actually my thesis advisor for uh, my master of science project so that is when I actually now transitioned from uh the university into actually doing research at the center that was 15 minutes. So during the undergraduates, I did not have any like this summer internship, but towards the end of my undergraduate, then that opportunity to actually do research at this uh, institution opened up. And then I did that. I took that. Um, and it actually, before I even graduated my my undergraduate, I'd already started this Master's of Science project. So that's when I started like going to the real world lab. Cool. So did you have to apply to this research institute in order to do your master's? Or is that something you just transitioned into while you were still in undergrad? So I transitioned to, but I would still need to uh, apply uh, as in apply for graduate school mm-hmm. at the at my university, still the same university. But it was so easy because I'd already started doing research uh, at this center. And so even as I graduated with my undergraduate, I was like already in my third, I think third month of research. So it was a very easy transition. And I 
and because my mentors had already put me in touch with uh, this a scientist at the center, I did not have to. So it was just like a very easy transition. The only thing that I had to apply was to the graduate school so that I now I transitioned from being an undergrad to a graduate student. Awesome. So what program were you in for your master's? And then would you mind talking about your master's thesis project? So I was in um, entomology. I did, uh, um, again, I had set my eyes on entomology as a career. I was focused on uh, understanding insects and uh, to ensure that I did something uh, with my career to help my community. And so my research ended up being a maize, maize or corn, what they call it here, uh, is an important crop uh, across uh, Africa. From my own country, Kenya, where it's staple, people eat corn, uh, it's food for lunch, it's dinner, it's, it's this very important crop that is one of the uh, important food crops. But at the same time, because it's important, it's also insects, insects uh, damage it. And so across uh, Kenya, for example, 50% of the maize crop is damaged by insects. And one of them being this caterpillar, it was uh, Chylopatella, so it's a Lepidopteran uh, caterpillar pest. So that is what I focused on for my research. I wanted to understand, first of all, how do this caterpillar find maize as a plant? We know that it's chemistry. Chemistry is the mode of conversation among plants. It's the language of uh, conversation among plants, insects, their natural enemies, as well as even below ground microbes. So my project was focused on understanding how does, first of all, injured maize, maize that is injured by caterpillars, what is the chemistry? How does the chemistry change? And how does it recruit this pest? But on the other hand, we know that pests have their natural enemies, which are the parasitoid wasps. And what that means is this biological control control rather than using pesticides which harm the environment harm our health there are other ways to control insects so i was interested in understanding these natural enemies of these caterpillars how do they use chemistry to find the caterpillars so that they can kill them and in that way farmers can uh, still have their crop and at the same time, our environment can be healthy because we did not spray tons of pesticides. So it was a very exciting project. And I had to travel across the Kenyan coast because I was looking at throughout the transaction of the Kenyan coast, how the caterpillar had spread. And then also how the natural enemies, if they were available in the farmer's field and how chemistry was involved. So how long was your master's program? It was two years. Okay. Yeah, it was very, it was quick and short. I was like, wow. Again, but it's, as I said earlier on, it started with this experiment where I did not get good results. And I was like, oh my God, this is the end of my master's program. And I came <laughs> crying, almost crying to my, my master's advisor. And he told me, no, zero results are results. They are telling us something. And I walked out of his office feeling so confident and feeling like, okay, then I belong to science. So yeah, in two years, I finished my project. So 
Awesome. And then what did you decide to do after you finished your master's? So after I finished my master's, uh, another opportunity actually opened to do some research at, at Israel, actually. So I, I traveled to uh, Israel at the Macon Volcani. It's their Agricultural Research Institute. And there I did uh, more research with uh, insects, but this time I was looking at stored product insects. So that is was the transition phase from uh, when I graduated graduated with my master's and then I went to Israel for two years and then I remember I was still wanting to actually become a professor I wanted to become a professor but the only way to become a professor was for me to I had to get my PhD so while I was in Israel I was looking out for PhD opportunities uh, around the world but I remember I had a friend childhood friend who actually grew up in uh, New York and he said you know, the best education, if you want the best education, you will need to head out to the United States. And so I started looking for opportunities for PhD and assistantships for PhD. So then from Israel, then I came uh, to the U.S. to do my PhD. Cool. And did you, were you applying to multiple programs within the U.S.? Was there one in particular that you were interested in going to? So I applied multiple programs, but for me, coming out as an international student, uh, the most defining thing was going to be where I would get an assistantship. It was going to be important because I could not pay for my uh, tuition fees, so I needed to have an assistantship. So I was like, whichever institution provides. And of course, because I did not really have, like, a, I would not say, oh, I'm going to go to MIT or Yale. I just wanted to get into a PhD program. So I did not have this preformed, oh, I want to go there, I want to go that. All I wanted was a PhD program, but also all I wanted was something that did with, you know, so that I could continue uh, my research with insects. So those were the two things that I really wanted there must be a research assistantship and uh, it must be something that further builds on the work that I've done uh, for my master's. Got it. So where did you end up going? So I ended up being uh, at Auburn and uh, Sweet Home, Alabama. <laughs> and uh, it was just a very um, profound time that time. Doing my PhD, I think, was the most satisfying period also of my career. And, and because... I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. This journey that had started all, all from this small village uh, with so many mentors along the way, with so much encouragement from parents, with parents sacrificing almost everything and continuously telling us that education, education was the gateway out of poverty. Then uh, my love for science and seeing that the ultimate that I could eventually get a PhD, getting into a PhD program and all through the years of my PhD, it was just so exciting and it was so surreal. Like I could not imagine that I had against all these challenges, against all these odds, it was happening. And it continues to be, you know, again, every step of my science career has been surreal in its own uh, standing. It's been Every time I have to pause and and see how lucky I am. And and I still consider myself lucky because not many people had the opportunity that I had. 
not many people from my village had parents who were encouraging, parents who saw something and mentors who came along my way to help me every step of my way. So it's still a very big privilege. Yeah, I'm glad it's, I'm glad you appreciate it, you know, like that's your experience and your support system and your mentors, everything. Yes. Helps guide you to where you are today, which is phenomenal. It is, it is, it is. Because if it was not for them, I don't think I would be where I am. Again, as I said, I, I grew up in the smallest, you know, village, no mentors, no role models. I did not know that there existed a world where there's so many careers, even within science, you could pursue so many branches of science. That was not something that I I ever imagined as I was growing up. And to be so lucky to have all these people lined up in every step of my journey to help me visualize, to see these things, it has been a true privilege. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be here without that support system. And I always wish that every person in the world has that kind of support system. Yeah, it truly makes a difference. It mm-hmm. does. So how did you find you acclimated to life in the U.S.? Gosh, I, you know, I finally acclimated because I'm still here. <laughs> but it was quite, you know, quite, quite, you know, big transitions. And of course, you know, you, you land here and you're in a research institution and, and you basically, you don't have also, you know, you, don't, you, you are removed from your environment but at the same time, you know, you you meet uh, amazing people along the way, and of course, you're homesick. You're you're missing so many things because it's very, very, very different. But it's been fun. It's been uh, an amazing journey again because I think at the foundation is that curiosity has never gone away, and so that wanting to find out, to question things has just allowed me to acclimate, to not see again, you know, I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm straight up with the lab. And I think just the nature of the science career where it's the finding out of why and whether you are in Kenya, whether you are in Senegal, whether you are in Europe, we are all bound by the same underlying trait. We are discovering, we are finding out. And no matter where you are. And so one of the things that has been just uh, important and has helped me, I've always said to myself, I will bloom wherever I'm planted. And so it doesn't matter where I am. If I'm planted in Illinois, I make it a point to bloom in Illinois. If I'm planted in Auburn, Sweet Home, Alabama, I bloomed out there. So wherever I am, I make it a point to bloom and to enjoy the moment and to to see that it's a privilege again i always say it's a i don't take it for granted it's for me it's a privilege and with privilege comes responsibility with responsibility comes that you need to use that privilege wisely very true (laughs) so would you mind talking about the thesis work you did for your phd 
So again, for my PhD, I, as I say, during my master's, I started this looking at biological control, looking at uh, these natural enemies. And so for my PhD, I further uh, wanted to find out if uh, these natural enemies, and we know that we have specialists that have evolved with their host in a very, very tight uh, evol evolution, as opposed to generalist uh, natural enemies that don't have such a close relationship with their caterpillar host. So I wanted to understand how does that difference between a specialist and a generalist uh, natural enemy, which are biological control agents, how does that happen? And how tight is that relationship? So I had, of course, my crop again was uh, in cotton. So in Alabama, corn is not a big crop, but we have uh, cotton. So I used cotton as my model plant and looked at how plants, cotton plants, how their chemistry changes and when they are infested or they're damaged by caterpillars and how does that chemistry uh, recruit the enemies differently between a, uh, a generalist and a specialist. But also at the same time, I added this, like all PhD students, you always add on this extra chapter. And so it ended up this extra chapter was uh, looking at uh, this uh, soil microorganisms, beneficial uh, microbes. They're called uh, plant growth promoting rhizobacteria. And for so many years, there have been all these uh, proven benefits in that they help the plants grow better. They Nobody had looked at, okay, when we inoculate these beneficial soil microbes, do they change the chemistry of the plants? And if that chemistry changes, what does it do to uh, recruiting this caterpillars as well as natural enemies. So I added on that chapter uh, for my PhD, uh, looking at plant growth promoting rhizobacteria and how they would change the chemistry of the plants and how that would translate into uh, also uh, the natural enemies. And voila, we discovered that indeed, that actually when we inoculate these beneficial microbes, they do change the chemistry. And then the, what was interesting is that the plant acts as a decoy system in that it's producing this chemistry that's sending these signals to the insects that, oh, don't come here. I'm so attacked. They have so many insects that are eating me in the natural sense is that, no, that's not happening. And as I shared earlier, so that work actually ended up being a pioneering a groundbreaking work. We had three patterns out of that work. And today, I think that work is being translated in that these companies are making products to uh, strengthen the growth of uh, cotton plants and as well as uh, to repel uh, these insects while attracting the natural enemies. So yeah, it was just an exciting uh, research project that ended up giving us three, uh, giving me actually uh, three US patents out of the work and, and seeing my work get into a full circle where uh, products are being made to assist farmers. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was just awesome. It was 
this this especially the beneficial soil microbes i remember also reading and and everybody was saying oh they increase the growth of the plants they do and they had all these these benefits and i was like no i don't believe it i i, I need to see it and i remember my first experiment and it was just so dramatic the the differences between a plant that had been inoculated with this uh, microbes and a plant that was not inoculated it was like night and day and then when we looked at the chemistry to see that whoa and it's not only the growth but the chemistry is changing and then when also that chemistry is changing it's the plant is acting as a decoy i remember that wow it was such a profound uh discovery and it further continued to just uh, cement this uh love for discovery this love for science and again finding uh other environment friendly ways to strengthen uh, our plants and the growth of our plants at the same time also to repel uh, insects and to control these insects that are pests that is so cool like i'm i'm not a botanist i'm not an entomologist but i still find that so fascinating it is it is it is it is it's it's fascinating i think the the research i do is just fascinating and to see this just outcomes of these interactions between microbes plants and to see them just the plant and fighting for its existence in our, in the world uh through chemistry uh through recruiting this uh beneficial microbes it's just fascinating it's and the interactions that are happening both seen by our naked eyes or unseen and the outcomes it's it still fascinates me up to today yeah i love it research is so cool it is oh as I, I always say i think we have the best jobs in the world i think researchers have an amazing job i agree i'm biased but i definitely agree <laughs> So out of uh, Auburn I my first postdoc was uh, at Georgia Tech and that for a year and then after that I returned back uh, to Auburn Alabama for another postdoc did uh, stayed in uh, Auburn Alabama for almost 4 or 5 years to start but yeah I did uh, se- I did several years from 2011 all through to 2018 I was just postdocs and it was a long journey for sure wow now that i'm talking about it so i would love to encourage you know i'd love to just use that experience to encourage you know post docs because i was there and at one point i would question will there be ever a light at the end of the tunnel you do your your phd and you imagine that you will soon transition to become an assistant professor and that dream doesn't happen and it takes for some it takes a short time and for others like me it took a while and so don't give up i'm just you know i've used this, this opportunity to to ask postdocs to not give up the right job for you will come and i know i know it i've been there i've been there yeah i think that's it's also good to highlight the different experiences that people have had with postdocs and how yes. they're still worth doing. <laughs> yes, they're still worth doing and and I think yeah, they're really worth doing because they truly prepare you and and you get diverse experiences and you get to work with diverse PIs and at the same time you also, you know, taking that time to think about okay, 
what if next year is my lucky year and I get to become an assistant professor, what uh, would my program look like? So again, I hopefully that if you don't get in, you know, that quickly as a postdoc, you use those postdoc years to, to imagine and to start laying that, to be prepared, to prepare yourself so that if that lucky opportunity comes about, you are ready and you quickly take on and launch quickly. So when you were in your postdocs, were you continuously applying for assistant professor jobs or were you just focused solely on your postdoc position? So at first I was not applying for any assistant professor job. So the, at the first two or three or four years, I was just like purely using that to build my CV. So I was just like, okay, I'm taking in the postdocs. And then later on, I started to apply. Were you looking specifically in Alabama? Were you applying everywhere? Were you applying back home? So I was applying, you know, whatever the jobs that really were careers that I wanted to to do and were in line with what I had done. So I did apply to several universities uh, across the U.S. And so, you know, after all this applying, you know, it's, it's just, I always say it's just funny. So I have done all these applications and, and then I, I remember it was one, uh, I was at, still at Auburn and I had not applied to Illinois. So I am, I'm in the library and I was in the library. I, I love, you know, when I'm not in, on the bench, I would use the time to just go to the library and read. And so I was in the library and it was an afternoon and my phone rings and it's, it's a 217 number. And first of all, I didn't even know what, what that <laughs> state code is. And I don't pick up, you know, cell phones that I don't know the number. So I hesitated to pick, but I was like, okay. But then I just had this urge to pick up the phone. And on the line was uh, the department uh, chair of uh, UIUC Urbana-Champaign Entomology Department, Professor May Berenbaum. This is a world-renowned scientist. She's you know, President's Medal of Honor for Science. She was awarded a Medal of Honor by President Barack Obama. And she was on the other line and she was like, okay, would you consider coming to uh, Illinois? We have this program where you will start as a postdoc, but it is designed to, for you to transition into a faculty position after two years of effectively proving yourself as a postdoc. And so I, and then she said, uh, so I've just called first of all to let you know about the program and to let you know that we're really interested in you and we will send you after I finish this phone call, I'll send you the application or what you have to do. And she uh, she hang up and I was like, okay, this must be just junk talk, junk, junk, because <laughs> how does a, a renowned professor, chair of a department, call you and tell you they're interested? And, and yeah, like really, this does not happen. So I thought this was just another junk email and I will never hear from her again. It was just like, this must be just a call out of this world. And, you know, 15 minutes later, she she uh, sent this email and I was like, yeah, I guess it's real. It's not, <laughs> it's not false. It's, I guess it's real. And I, and I was like, wow. And I told my professor and it's like, you know, when May Berenbaum gives you a call and says they, you know, they want to hire you, you don't turn that down. So it's like, okay. And I did the application and I was like, ooh, and that's how I came to Illinois. And as I said, it was supposed to be uh, two years a postdoc and then to transition. And I started and by 
I think it was June or September, May was like, you know what, everybody's so impressed and, you know, we are getting ready to get your, you know, your your applications for assistant professor through. You are, we are getting ready to get this done. So that's how, how I ended up being in Illinois. It was, yeah, it's still surreal because, wow. Oh, my gosh. So not only were you recruited, you yes. were also pushed through. <laughs> yes, it was, I was. Yeah, yeah, it was just like recruited. And yeah, two years never ended up being two years. By six months, I was like, I I did the complete application and and the rest is history. Oh, my gosh. So, that, yeah. That is insane. <laughs> that, yeah, that is like ridiculously insane it's i still like it was just this roller because like yeah it was this afternoon i'm like this is a 217 number and i don't need to pick that but i have this urge to pick up and i'm like it's not it's not happening like i say what <laughs> what this is an r1 institution how do i even know me and oh gosh and yeah indeed and before i knew it i was in illinois and and in 2018, I started in Illinois. In 2019, I was an assistant professor. So, yeah. Oh, it's... my gosh. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here open mouth right now. You can't see it. but I... <laughs> that, Yeah. So, it's again, I, I still like, wow. I still don't. Yeah. Whenever I replay, it, it always, every time I stop and replay and it's like, wow. But it is, it is what happened. It is. I love it. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So what research does your lab focus on? So I, so my research is, a, we, we are called, see our research as a broad uh, research, but first and foremost, all along my work, my uh, PhD, uh, I've been working with insects, of course, and working with corn, cotton, and different plant. So our work here is, uh, again, uh, understanding how chemistry mediates interactions amongst beneficial soil microbes, plants, insects, and their natural enemies. Our model crops are corn and tomato, but also uh, adding on to, because of climate change, plants, as we know, they can't move, and climate change has increased the stresses that plants are uh, exposed to from uh, insects, which has been a long, long time focus of my work, to drought and to flooding. So one of the emerging stresses with climate change is flooding. And there's not so much work that's done to understand how, first of all, agricultural plants, in particular those plants that we are dependent on for food uh, security, are impacted by flooding. Then how does that also change their uh, health status and change their ability to deal with subsequent stresses. So that is one focus, understanding how flooding impacts uh, plant growth and survival, plant chemistry, and that how that cascades into impacting plant and insect interactions. And we're also uh, approaching it from a domestication uh, or breeding. How does breeding uh, also impact all these interactions? Because over the years, with climate change and with our focus on food security and improved crop production, we've continued to breed and improve our crop varieties. But at what expense to all these other innate capabilities that plant come along with? Are we doing breeding? Are we shortchanging the ability of plants to 
naturally fight for all these uh, stresses that they have to be exposed to, through uh, just getting uh, these crops that can overproduce these billions and billions of bushels of, of uh, corn. So we're looking at domestication and crop breeding, how that impacts all these plant uh, insect interactions that have uh, been around for many years. So that's another aspect. So, so yeah, it's uh, we're dealing with flooding. We are dealing with also herbivory, insect herbivory, and looking at how breeding uh, has altered plants' ability to defend themselves, plants' ability to recruit these microbes, beneficial soil microbes that are so important to uh, helping plants grow better, defend themselves against insects, and in the end, produce the crops that we need for our food security. And then also, uh, again, from all the literature, we've looked at stressors individually. So, for example, when I work on my research, most of the research, you'll see, okay, how do plants respond to a beavery? But with climate change, we know that all these stressors come at once. So there's all these simultaneously happening uh, stresses. So how do plants deal with that? For example, if at the same time, flooding, drought, extreme temperatures and insects are the stresses that the plant is exposed to. How is that different from when the plant has to deal with one stress factor at a time? And so really uh, building this foundational knowledge about how plants respond to combinatorial stresses. And then once we understand that, we can again breed for plants that are able to withstand these stressors that now we know are not going to be happening individually. They're happening simultaneously or they're happening one after the other sequentially or even they're just continuously happening. So it's now building on and adding the knowledge that we have on stressors so that we can, at the end of the day, have plant varieties that can withstand all the stresses that climate change is bringing so that in the end we can feed ourselves sustainably but at the same time ensure that the health of our environment is still a priority. Cool, that's awesome and so very, very important, my goodness. With climate change and with plants and insects, yeah, there's all evolution and it's it's real. So. The things that all the solutions we knew or the answers we had yesterday, sometimes they're no, no longer relevant because the intensity of the stress is different. So we have to continuously up, upgrade this knowledge that we've built. And so it's 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 a fun, it's fun mm-hmm. yet at the same time challenging because again, we must continuously make our results and the solutions and continuously we have to question are they still working are they still relevant because again we're dealing with this very dynamic nature of of uh, issues that affect plants and more so agricultural plants that are so important for food security for us and for the nine billion of us that are present in our planet so as a black woman in your chosen field what has your experience been like so far Wow, it's definitely been, first of all, exciting because, again, I have the privilege to to be a minority, but at the same time, very uh, 
exhausting and exhausting in so many ways. Again, uh, you find yourself lonely because here you are, you're trying to find people that look like you and there are not so many. So then it's lonely. It's exhausting, exhausting because again, you have to overprove yourself because there are all these stereotypes that have been built over the years about black people. They're lazy. They cannot, they're not smart. They're not all these uh, stereotypes that work against you. And you have to always counteract that. And again, knowing that you still a few, one of the few scientists. And so it's, 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 it's been, you know, it's been fun yet exhausting. It's just hard to explain it. And still knowing that you can't blank, you can't, you can't fail because you, you, you are just one of the few. You are also working very hard so that you pave the way for others uh, so that in the future, your institutions have so many people that look like you, that minorities don't feel minority anymore. So it, it's been that kind of, it's like a roller coaster when you, you know, it's some days you're excited and some days when the reality just comes swinging at you and you're like, wow. But it's, it's, it's fun and exhausting at the same time. Yes, that's, that's when you hope the good outweighs the bad for sure. Yes, yes. So what are three pieces of advice you'd give someone who's interested in pursuing a similar path as you? So one, stay true to your passions. Stay persistent. Stay focused to uh, your goals. Keep them alive. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It may take 10 years. It may take a year. But so long as you've defined it uh, and you're staying true to it, and thirdly, you know, seek mentors and find your support system. I think support system is so important because when you write that grant proposal and you don't get it, you need that support system. When you do that experiment, it fails. You need that support system. When you're even applying for something, you need that support system. So find that support system for yourself and try to find different uh people at at different stages of their career so that you have this very, very uh, diverse. uh, Also try to get a diverse set of mentors. I think it's so important. Mentors and support system is critical to just success and to be able to deal with both the highs and lows of being a minority in science. And above all, I think just have fun, have fun, uh, find that thing that you're really passionate about. I think one of the best thing I would say is find that discipline or that subject or that research question that you're passionate because then when you are passionate about that, even on the days when nothing is going right, when you question why am I even in science, then you just follow your passion and you will forget about all these challenges because, and you will be able to withstand. I think it's important to find that research question or that field where you are absolutely in sync with it. Wow. I think that was such great advice. Oh gosh. I'm still processing. I wholeheartedly agree. 
uh, especially with finding your support system. I think yes. that that could make or break you sometimes. I, I yes. truly think that. And even like when I found Black Science Twitter, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is this is so great because people really just there. There's a lot of open honesty, I think, on Black Science Twitter. And then there's yes. also the never ending support because you have people who post like all oh, my experiment failed for the 50,000th time. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And you need that, you know, I think that, yeah, finding that support system is so key. And and for people that look like you, actually, it's so important because not only do they understand where you're coming from, they also probably have experienced it. Mm-hmm. And they genuinely wanna succeed. So I think it's not only just support system, but sometimes actually I think at least fifty percent of that support system. Make sure that it's people that look like you because it is so important. And they will fight for you. And again, because in in our career, there are times when people have to fight for you. People have to step up on your behalf. You want that. And chances are you know, 50% may people that are really, they're allies for minorities, they're allies for black in STEM. But you also want to also have people that can talk from that point of, yeah, we understand you, we understand your experiences, we we know, we know what you're talking about. Sometimes, you know, you can talk about something and people are just looking like you, like, they, they can't imagine what you're talking about, they don't, mm-hmm. they can't connect to what you're talking about. But finding that, being able to express and say, and somebody, you know, you see them nodding their head because they, they actually, they know what you're talking about. Yes. And that can make such a difference. <laughs> such a difference. <laughs> yes, that is. So, yeah, and not only, yeah, find, make sure that you have people that look like you that are part of your support system because it is so important because sometimes it will be those people that look like you that will ensure that something, a decision that was going to be made, that was going to be very, uh, the outcome is going to be so different. They they can actually ensure that that decision does not come to that. So again, again, it's so just, oh gosh. And just for days that you feel broken, you know, the days that you just want to give up, days that you question why 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 in the world am i in science Mm -hmm. those days you need that support system and oh god and again and i think also fine you know and also and now we you know i'm talking in this podcast uh listen to other podcasts listen to experiences of other you know people i think that be you know be out there listen read uh buy books and because i think when you you have this when you've heard about it, even when it's going on, you'll, it will click to your brain. I remember listening to uh, Black in Science or listening to uh, Jasmine's podcast. There's this scientist that actually went through the same experience I'm going. In the end, they still succeeded. So I think that's important. So again, it's just also be connected to these networks, to blogs, to podcasts. Listen to them. Listen to these experiences because... I think they don't not only come in handy when you're going through the experience, but they also give you hope if they've made it and they even had either a better experience than I'm going through, but they still made it. You give yourself these glimmers of hope. Yes, especially when 
you hear stories and they're not like linear journeys, you know, like, yes. oh, yes, I had a, I was a postdoc for seven years. You're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, you know? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. When, yeah, when you've applied every, every, you know, university of life, you, or you go in and you do these interviews, you get to the final and then you don't get up, the, you don't get the job and, and you come back, it's like, why, why, why? And then in retrospect, you finally get your job and, and all of a sudden, all those challenges then become just part of a rich history that actually defines you. And the other thing I think I would say is just remember you are different. You are authentically different from your friend, your colleague, even people that you went through the same program. Your journey is going to be different. And I think once you understand that and you stop comparing yourself, I think the other major uh point I would like to share about is just not comparing yourself, realizing that you're, you're different, your journey is going to be unique, and enjoy it. Actually, quit comparing yourself with others and enjoy your own journey. Because at the end, I think your journey becomes a, this beautiful testimony that then ends up forming this very diverse set of trajectories that allow people to realize that even when they're, as you said, oh my God, this is my seventh year in a postdoc, but realizing that you're also generating this, this unique journey that helps encourage somebody else to realize that, you know what, they could even be 10 years a postdoc and eventually they get into a program and then they become a Nobel Prize. They get into this just one year of being in a program. They discover something huge and all of a sudden, we celebrate them. And so I, I think, yeah, just not comparing yourself and just realizing you will have a very unique journey. Embrace it, enjoy it, and do your best every day. I think sometimes we don't treasure our these this, this very unique trajectories that we all get into. And then they become these life stories that are so interesting. I, you know, I appreciate that you do a podcast because then you bring to us all these very interesting trajectories. And then as a listener to the podcast, you're like, oh my God. And so you're going from one, oh my God, moment to another because there are all these very, very distinctively different trajectories. They make our life just fun and, and life worth living, I think. Yes, and they're all amazing. All, yes, and they're all amazing in their own way. Mm-hmm. And, it does, and sometimes I think also people say, oh, no, I did not discover this world-changing discovery. But you know what? All those discoveries, are, you're, you're, you're creating that stepping stone to another discovery. So it's still very important. Without that stepping stone, we wouldn't make all these advances that we are making. So again, just celebrating the science that you're doing, however small, big, or whatever it is, it's just, it's important. I think all questions are important all aspects of science discoveries are important i agree yes so that was actually all the questions i had for you today so if you're willing would you mind sharing your social media information or your email or both for anyone who wants to reach out with questions at estangumbi that's my twitter and then my email is uh, enn at illinois.edu perfect is there anything else you would like to add this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for a Black in Science podcast. I appreciate uh, this invitation. I 
appreciate this. It was an amazing conversation. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. It was a conversation, as you said. It was so much fun. That's, like, that's know, my I goal. Enjoyed I enjoyed it. I loved it. Loved it. Guys, thank you for tuning into another episode of Black in Science. I want to thank Dr. Goombi once again for taking the time to participate as a guest on the show. If you enjoyed listening to her story and want to continue following her journey, make sure you check out her social media pages. I'll be sure to include all of her information in the episode's description. If you're interested in staying up to date with the latest Black in Science content, feel free to follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore B-I-S and on Instagram at Black in Science, where I'll be posting updates on the release of new episodes every month. Lastly, if you're interested in participating as a guest on the show, just send me an email at bisthepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for all of your love and support, and I'll talk to you guys in the next one.